Welcome to the Hidden Truth Podcast. This week, I have the privilege and honor of having Miss Spice Brie Latte on to talk to us a little bit about uh, what life's like out in uh, Kami, California. So, Brie, if you just want to introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. So, I'm Brie, Spice Brie Latte from Instagram, um, forced out ER tech in Kami, California, like you said. <laughs> And so how long have you been in ER tech and kind of tell me a little bit about your backstory coming into the medical field and where you're at now? Sure. So about 10 years ago, I graduated in social work um, and started working in inpatient psych. Um, And I did that for probably about like seven years, I would probably say. Um, And then now, and then I became an ER tech. Um, I wanted to really help bridge the gap from inpatient mental health to emergency room. I think that's a big place that the country's lacking. Um, so that's really my passion kind of led me into the ER in hopes of doing that all while um, getting ready to apply for nursing school. So I've been in healthcare for about 10 years, um, applied to nursing school at the beginning of COVID, I would say so. February, March, right before it hit. Um, divine intervention, as some may say. Uh, I'm not pursuing that anymore, <laughs> obviously. So, yeah, I've probably got 10 years in the healthcare field for sure. And so you were at a hospital in San Diego, correct? Yeah. During kind of the peak and the beginning of all of this. So what did things look like from the beginning? Because, I mean, if we follow the media narrative, um, it's pretty easy to see that, especially California, is the hotspot of COVID. Everyone's dying. People are, you know, California's been flooded. They've been hit the hardest. They also have the biggest restrictions and seem to be the most locked down and, uh, you know, doing this the most appropriately right way. Uh, but what if things actually looked like on the ground that you witnessed in the hospital? Uh, I mean, I think, being honest, it, it really ebbs and flows, but um, it's never been as terrible as the media has portrayed it to be. Um, So I think in the beginning, I mean, I'm guilty. I would hope really that most people were guilty of like, okay, what's going on, you know, and doing everything they can and following the instruction from the media um, to try to keep themselves and everyone safe, especially their family. Um, So I think when COVID first hit, it was just really scary. And to be, to be fair, I don't, I don't know exactly what, I can't remember exactly what that was like those first like two to four weeks because they're just so chaotic. And we just, I remember going to work and people not really knowing what's going to happen. But not much had been put into place yet, right? Because nobody understood what was going on. Um, And then I think at the media's height of COVID, probably would be last summer. Um, And you know, that's when everybody was like, thank you to the healthcare heroes, um, you know, and giving all of these donations and supporting people in healthcare. You know, we really needed it. We were the essential workers and going to work while people were staying home. You know, the freeways were empty, the schools were closed, um, grocery stores, you know, that narrative that goes around the whole country. But I think when you see that, um, And you're being told that everybody that's really out is flooding the hospitals and, you know, they're overflowing and people are dying and, you know, this, that, and the other. I think that's the part that 
in my experience was just not true. Um, there was a time last summer where there was like nobody in the emergency room. And I work in one of the main hospitals, I'd say of San Diego. Um, I don't, it's not the largest, but it's definitely one where people go often. I think, I think our average census was about 300, around 300 people a day. Um, and there were times when there was, like I said, zero, um, consistently less than 100. So I think that um, the media was just making it seem like the hospitals overflowed and very busy. And the truth of it was that they weren't. I just, I think it's that simple. They, they just weren't there. They had instilled so much fear in people that they weren't even coming to the hospital, not just for COVID, but for not for anything. So you would know? you say for yourself, that was kind of uh... I don't know, the turning point in opening your eyes and unleashing the veil that led to you seeing deeper into more narratives and more corruption and more lies? Or was there an event that took place prior to that that kind of was like, you know, these things aren't adding up. What I'm seeing here isn't what I'm witnessing on the ground in the hospital. Yeah, so oddly enough, that in itself didn't throw up any red flags for me because, I mean, I know that the media you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't always tell the truth. So that to me wasn't like, oh, this is weird. It was just like, okay, well, you know, we're healthcare heroes. And when the time comes, we will be here to take care of you and your family and whoever walks through our doors, but nobody's walking through. So I just thought it was like interesting, but not weird because I didn't have a personal grip at that time. We were just a couple months in as to what COVID really was um, or is. Um, So I think that the the real turning point for me would probably be um, after summer. So my hospital created something called the hot zone. And so they implemented all these trainings and, you know, people could um, wear peppers and how to, you know, properly fit yourself for all the PPE that you might need um, in case somebody comes in with COVID or are suspected to have COVID. And so they, they had these very distinct roles. And if you were on the side of the bed of the rooms, you know, just imagine that there's like the sliding doors and then maybe about like four feet or five feet maybe of space before you got to like the nurse's station. Um, and so what they did is they, they put like a perimeter of red duct tape on the floor. Um, and so, you know, the, what's the width of duct tape? Like two, two inches? inches? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you were on one side of the red duct tape, um, which is where the patient rooms would be, that's considered the hot zone. If you're on the other side of the red duct tape, literally in the nurse's station, you're in the warm zone and you're safe. You don't need to wear a pepper. You don't need to wear a gown. You don't need to do anything. But when you cross that two-inch red piece of duct tape on the floor, automatically you're in the hot zone. So that's pure shenanigans. That makes no sense um, from any way that you look at it. And I think that um, is what really was like, okay, this is weird. This doesn't make any sense like duct tape, like really duct tape, this virus that's killing all these people and, you know, 
ruining people's lives and livelihoods and all the things um, can be stopped by your two-inch piece of duct tape on the floor. I didn't buy it. Yeah, and so it's interesting. Um, I kind of reflecting on the narrative shift. At the beginning, you're right. It was very confusing, especially coming from, you know, I started my nursing career. I worked as a tech in an ER, like I stated in uh, St. Louis. It was a very large trauma center one of the largest hospitals in the country. And they instilled, even during my tech to my nursing transition, when I began as a nurse, I truly felt into the narrative of I was a hero. Like I wore a badge of honor. I felt like I was sacrificing something. And at the time, I think that was potentially the intention with that is to keep healthcare workers distracted when seeing that numbers were so low because we did have an initial spike. I mean, at the very beginning, I think COVID did hit and run rampant. And there was an initial large amount of cases. Um, and then it played its course. And very quickly, two weeks, three weeks after the announcement of all of the lockdowns, COVID very quickly ran its course. And like you said, then we went to empty ERs. And I still kept that hero mentality. Even though ERs were empty, I still felt that I was going in and serving and sacrificing something. And it almost seemed it served as a distraction to keep me away from the idea that, you know, hey, why are we not seeing that many people? Why are, do we have more downtime? Like we were celebrating. We were like, this is nice. Coming from a trauma center, we were like, this is such a nice little break. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. we were sitting around talking. We were like, this isn't a change of pace. Uh, so it was very interesting to see that shift then kind of come about. And we, like you said, when the media started talking about our hospitals being flooded and, you know, it's this most serious virus and it's going to, you know, financially collapse the world and people are going to die. Like, I mean, they were acting like it's the bubonic plague. And so that shift from seeing that and then seeing what was happening in my hospitals was like, well, this isn't making a lot of sense. Um, and so it's very interesting to kind of see that throughout this whole narrative, they have went from one point to another. So after the talking point of that, then we fast forward and we start getting into where they are publicly advertising all the restrictions that are happening. So like you said, with the duct tape being placed, we started having implements put in place like that at not only our hospital, but restaurants around the stores uh, or restaurants, uh, different stores in the area, banks, like everywhere was having all these safety implements put in place. And I think that's where my big red flags went off. Cause like you said, a couple months in, we didn't really know. We didn't understand. Everyone was scared, rightfully so, because the media was instilling so much fear. I was wiping off my steering wheels. I was wiping off my hands on before I got in my car. Like, I mean, you know, everything to the T, I was yeah. horrified. And then I started seeing the precautions take place. And so it started with the six, the masking and then six feet social distancing. And then at the beginning, there was even arguments from our government saying that masks are not effective. They publicly were coming out saying like Fauci yeah. himself saying, he said we don't need, yeah, we don't need to wear masks. So, and then that flip flop Fauci narrative kept going back and forth and then masks were effective. Then they were not. And then the duct tape and then the plexiglass and then all these <laughs> other implements. And I was like, wait a minute. I was like, the first time it really hit me is I went to a restaurant and we had to wear a mask in and I was participating in the mask for a bit, like a, probably the first six months of the virus. I was wearing masks out of respect. I was no longer scared for myself, but I felt I needed to protect others because that was the narrative that shifted. So being an empathetic person, I was like, I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it to help others that hero mentality like most healthcare workers have. And so I went into the store and when I was going through the checkouts, there were these plexiglass separating us and you had to stand you know the little dots on the ground six feet apart and I was sitting there thinking you know it's very interesting that this virus knows exactly how six feet is 
Like it, mm -hmm. it, if it's five feet, it's going to get you and spread. But if you're not standing on these dots exactly six feet apart, there's no safety in place. It's like and the smartest virus ever. Yeah, very clever virus. Uh, yeah. And what really got me that kind of tipped it over was going into restaurants. You could wear a mask going in when they started allowing people to indoor dine again. Um, and you had to do the stand on the dots and wait to be served. And then when you sat down, you could suddenly take your mask off because you were safe from COVID. Mm -hmm. And so all these crazy restrictions started coming out in some states. I know, I believe it might have been even out in California or Oregon. They were having a restriction on like curfew. You couldn't stay out past 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock Oh, yeah, yeah. At night. We had that here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, COVID mean, comes out at night. Yeah. So I understand them trying to make Very a case elusive. for it. And say, oh, well, less people are going to go out at night. But I mean, the restrictions started getting to the point where they were telling people they couldn't have more than three people in their homes. And so very controlled and locked down dictatorship. So, yes, yeah. very interesting how this narrative has kind of flipped and uh, shifted back and forth. And so now, fast forward, we're, what, 21 months into this, correct? I mean, uh, two to two weeks yeah. off the spread. Yeah. yeah. And so now your current battle, I would guess, is probably you know, being a domestic terrorist because you're fighting for your kids. You have a seven-year-old yeah. son, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so, so I'm a domestic terrorist. Yeah, you are a mother domestic terrorist. So interesting. I never thought we'd be calling the mothers of our nation <laughs> domestic terrorists. Um, and yeah. here we are. So tell me a little bit more about, I. this is the subject that I lack a little bit of knowledge in. I personally don't have any kids. Um, and I see the just blatant attack happening on the children of this country, uh, you know, mm -hmm. with us. 99.9997% survival rate for children. I mean, ultimately, a statistical 0% chance that children are going to get and die from this virus. More kids died from influenza last year than they have of COVID this year. And from all of the data I've looked at and the reports I've seen, every child that's died from this virus under the age of 18 had autoimmune or like neuro chronic neurological issues. That None of these were healthy young kids. Um, sure. So ultimately, no threat to the children. And so now they are not only asking for kids, but pushing it in California and many other states that they are mandating it for people to have to go back to school. So uh, educate me a little bit more and tell me more about what this fight's been like for you and what specifically they're trying to do in your county with your kids in school. So um, our Sundays are pretty cool school. Um, they have pretty conservative. We live in a little conservative neighborhood, um, thankfully, but they still have to go by the mandates. Um, and so I don't really know the legality of it all, to be honest, because the hardest part about living in California is you can, you know, go to sleep one day and then the joke is wake up in the morning a criminal because you just don't know what's happening. Um, things are just always changing. So it's my understanding that they have mandated um, the vaccine for children as young as five, which is kindergarten age. Um, and, then, and then back in 2019, 17, 2017, I think, um, California removed religious exemptions for vaccinations. So there had already been like this mass exodus in like the anti-vax community of getting out of California because you had to vaccinate your children. So I don't come from the anti-vax. That's not me. I'm fully vaccinated. Our son is fully vaccinated um, with the exception of COVID, of course. So because this is our first like vaccine mandate that we're like, no, 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 we don't want to do it. Um, we're just like not doing it. 
you know, so our plan is to just move. That's what we're going to do is we're just going to move to a free state. But my understanding is if we were to stay here in California, our son would have to be fully vaccinated. He's in second grade right now. He would have to be fully vaccinated by the start of his third grade year, I think, which is in the fall, um, which gives you time, right? That's like almost more than enough time. I think they were trying to push it by like the end of this year or something. It's all this stuff that I honestly just can't keep up with and choose not to. But I, I, I'm pretty sure that by the start of the third grade year, he'd have to be fully vaccinated if he was in California. And um, there's very little wiggle room for any sort of exemption, medical or religious. Um, and so uh, we feel fortunate that we can able that we're able to move and are going to move, and that our son is so young. Because I know a lot of people here in California, even some of my friends, their kids play sports. Like I grew up playing soccer, so active, so active. And then to play these sports, they have to get the vaccine. So it's a really tough spot um, for a lot of families. But a lot of people are. You know, I mean, you're blessed, it sounds, in the area so of blessed. being able to set yourself up to where you have the ability um, to move yeah. in your future destination you're trying to plan is Montana, correct? Yeah. Very interesting. I, I love yeah. that. Uh, and so, yeah, these people are in very unique situations. And that's kind of what got me started with all this. I'm blessed being here in Florida. We do not see, I mean, we are leading the pack here as far as fighting against all the tyrannical, you know, oppression that's happening in our country. Um, but you're blessed to be able to have the opportunity to get out of California. A lot of people have debt or jobs or other long-term securities where their ego or physically or financially, they cannot leave due to certain, you know, situations for every person. And so now they're faced with a choice that they throw away their entire life that they've created or they give in to get something that they don't want to do. And that's kind of the theme I tend to see uh, many times when I have asked people that have either A, gotten the shot, or B, are now faced with mandates flowing around our hospitals um, in our area is people saying, I got it because of this, meaning you know I need to keep my job or I wanted to travel. Very rarely do I hear people say, I got the shot because I think it's in the best interest of my health. And it's what yeah. I thought, right. And so it's very sad and crazy to see that all this coercion is happening. And in the Nuremberg trials, I mean, one of the Nuremberg codes that was passed is that medical treatment will not be coerced. And so what we're seeing is mass coercion, but people are arguing, saying that the, their full informed consent is happening and that coercion is not taking place. And I don't know what you call that, but you looking at, you know, okay, your child has to get this shot that you and your family have talked about and you do not agree with, or you have to leave the state. So I would say you are being coerced into having to leave the state. I mean, they are, you know, you are forcing your yeah. hand. It's not like you're left without a choice. If you stay, yes, that's a choice, but then what? Yes. Well, the thing your- is, and that's the thing is that the coercion, it, it, I mean, all things have sacrifice, right? But like, I feel like there's three options. I feel like you get your kid vaccinated for whatever your reason may be, you do it and you continue on in the life that you've been living. You pack up your stuff and you get the heck out of here. Or you don't leave California and stay here and you're really only left with a homeschooling option. 
Um, and I think that's what a lot of people are doing. They're like getting their kids out of these schools. And I understand that, but that comes with sacrifice too, to the whole family. Um, and then like, how does that work also? You know, the third option, I feel like taking your kid out and homeschooling can really be the most complex because, you know, if one of the parents stays home and teaches your kid or children, however many you may have, at what cost, you know, are they leaving their career? Well, this is California. You can't, you rarely can you survive on one income. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the, the trickle down effect that it has is crazy. And so I think that that is coercion and like massive sacrifice. Like life as you know it is no longer, unless you're in that little camp of like, this is so great. I want my kid to have this. I love the vaccine. Like if that's your camp, then cool. Um, but if it's not, there's just so much that you have to do. You know, it's, yeah. it's just like a lot. Like I, I do think because we are blessed, but I do think like if we, if we stayed here, you know, what would that look like? And it would, it would be a big change for our family. And we only have one son, you know, we don't have multiple children. It, it would be a big change. So yeah, it's just crazy. And here's my prediction is if we follow the narrative that has been uh, played out over these last, you know, 20 months, it seems to be a reoccurring theme because now we've been in this so long that we are actually able to chase our own tail and backtrack and see these stories that have been spun. Um, and if you follow the data that's actually happened, there's a very strong correlation between the initial spike of COVID, then the decline. The numbers were actually very low there for a very pe long period of time, months. And then we introduced the vaccine for adults. Um, originally it was for help frontline workers, uh, elderly, and those that were immunocompromised. And then we allowed it, you know, emergency authorized use to everybody. And then we fully FDA approved it. And all of those timelines, as the increased rate of vaccinations goes up, there was only a very small brief period where you heard the media talking about a decline in cases. And then they quit talking about that because the data now, we've actually had more coronavirus cases in 2021 having the vaccine than we did mm -hmm. in 2020 before we had a vaccination. Um, and they're yeah. blaming it due to the Delta variant. Which, uh, which, what is that? What, what is the Delta variant? This is the thing that I don't get. Because when you get swabbed for COVID, you just have one swab. It, which is another interesting uh, concept. The PCR testing has to be phased out by December 31st. The uh, CDC released a statement saying that, and I quote, they needed a test that was better able to differentiate between influenza and SARS-CoV-2. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what are we supposed to do? And you we're still actively using that across the country in every healthcare facility, every urgent care, everywhere that PCR test is still being used, even though we know it's a flawed test that was admitted by the CDC, not even to account the original creator of the PCR testing said that it was not used to be a diagnostic tool. I mean, he's openly spoke right. on this topic and what it was meant to do was to be a viral replicator. And the way our GI tract and like mucus line tracts, whether that's, you know, your colon, your urinary tract, your mucus in your nose, your mouth, we have little cilia, which are the little hairs that push thousands and thousands of viruses up and out of the upper respiratory tract every day. And you cough and sneeze them out. And that's what it's virus and bacteria. So if you're testing, swabbing people's noses, you're going to pick up a, a virus particle. I mean, we have thousands that sit 
symptomatic or not in our nose every day. Like right now I have them sitting in my nose, you have them sitting in yours. So if we swab and we test for that, all the PCR test is able to do is say, okay, here's a particle of a virus. Now what we're gonna do when there's no restriction on the threshold, which is what we've seen, we can spin this test so many cycles and it'll grow one small particle of virus and replicate that up to a large detectable size. And the original invention was made so that they could test it in laboratories and actually do further testing. So they could take very small samples, grow it to a larger size to observe it. So now what we're doing for testing is taking a location that we know has thousands and thousands of virus particles at any given moment that could be sitting there. And we're putting it on this detection device that was not meant to be a diagnostic tool. We're replicating the virus to a detectable load, whether it's coronavirus, which has not been isolated yet. There's no secure isolation of coronavirus. Um, and we're saying that it is a positive case. And then that is what everything that has happened in the last 20 months is being based off of. That's what the lockdowns are being based off of. That's mm -hmm. what the restrictions are being based off of. That's what the mandates are being based off of are a faulty PCR testing. So at the very fundamental level of everything that's happened, it's flawed. And we oh, yeah. don't even have an accurate count or even attempt to have an accurate count of how many cases they have, not even deaths, because we know those have been fudged, but just cases alone. Yeah. So it's absolutely crazy. Um, and with that, it's like you have that PCR test and it could be the flu. It could be regular COVID, whatever the original COVID is or yeah. the Delta variant. So it's like these three things in one. Uh, RSV. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It just and doesn't make any sense. I don't know if you had seen this in your hospital, but me personally, especially since I've been down here in Florida, um, kids, I, I work at an ER that will see kids and adults, whereas my old ER was just adults. Kids specifically will come in and have, you know, respiratory issues. And we just went, we're going through RSV season for children right now um, in the yeah, last couple of months. Like, and so it's very strange that there's an odd you know, oh, there's an increase in COVID cases in kids, which the media is playing out right before we bring out the vaccine for children. Right at the time, you know. Uh, RSV season. Yeah, RSV season is coming about. And when kids are coming in with fevers or cough or any respiratory, runny nose, anything, I am seeing providers order full panel COVID test on all these kids. Even though we know it's RSV season, they immediately jump any symptom. I mean, if a kid has a cough, they're like, okay, we need to test for COVID. And I'm seeing the same thing in adults too. They're jumping the gun there for a while. There are people that are coming in with respiratory issues that are only being kept tested for COVID, not even the full respiratory panel. Yeah. And so we're acting as if every other virus doesn't exist. And that's kind of the same way that we are seeing with this COVID pneumonia happening, quote unquote, in hospitals, they literally are naming pneumonia COVID pneumonia, when there's nothing that differentiates it on an x-ray besides a large white opacities spaces in the bottom of the mm -hmm. x-ray lungs, which is exactly what you would see with somebody that has pneumonia, but we've labeled it COVID pneumonia if they come back positive yeah. with COVID. So it's like we're creating all these terms to label diseases that we've dealt with for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, however long. I mean, pneumonia has been around since the 1918 Spanish flu, and we're just Giving it a buzzword. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's absolutely <laughs> insane. Um, it's wild. So in your hospital, did you see, because I know there's a big topic of conversation about over-treatment 
in patients, at least um, the people that I spoke with, we were like the early, in, we know that early intubation was now killing people now that we have enough data to backlog that. Um, and that's what I was seeing at my hospitals. People were coming in and instead of the gradual progression that's supposed to happen when someone's low on oxygen, where you start with a nasal cannula, then you see if they go to a non-rebreather, if they can get that. And then you go to like a high flow oxygen machine. And then you, you know, you progress to like a bypass. And then if all else fails, you intubate. Like it's like a last source. I was seeing people jump directly from people that were, you know, coming in at 82% on room air, oxygen didn't work. We need to intubate them. Yeah in making that leap. So did you see any type of like over treatment or, you know, just hitting people with antibiotics or anything like that in your hospital where it seemed like almost a neglect of care rather than actually following the proper steps that we've done in the past with respiratory issues in an ER setting? So I think like most hospitals around the nation, like you said, where they went to this, like not straight to intubation, but premature for what we've all been taught. Um, yeah, I definitely saw that um, for a short period of time, but it would be wrong for me to say that I, I believe it was out of negligence because I believe that, that what I saw, they were doing it because they thought that it was helpful. And I think that's a lot of the chaos. And that really, that's medicine trial and error, right? But I think that it was so chaotic and so crazy. And like you said, every symptom had to be COVID related, you know? And so things are happening and people are just thinking COVID, 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 COVID. And they're trying new things because they want to help people. Um, and with that particular experimental, you know, premature intubation, that didn't turn out so well, but I don't think it was negligent. My hospital stopped that. I probably would say fairly quickly um, from what I've heard, like talking to other people, but yeah, uh, unfortunately I did, I did see that. Yeah. Well, and I think that is part of the big message I want to get across is everybody that's in this, you know, the doctors, the nurses, different people in legal positions, uh, people in government. I think that, yes, there are nefarious beings at work with everything happening. And there are people in power that do not have the best interest in mind and that are based off of profit and implementing more control um, and restriction on the American people. But there are also a lot of people that are genuinely good, kind-hearted people that believe that what they're doing is the right thing. And I think that's why all of this fight has been so difficult is there has been a mass manipulation, um, very well done, that if you're not careful and read through the lines, you would be thinking that what you're doing, whether that is getting the shot, whether that is prescribing people the medicine that is based off protocols, why you know doctors recommending the vaccine, because all yeah. these peer-reviewed studies, you know, all the papers and the news articles being released, if you take them for what they're worth face value, it's very convincing. Like the data up front, what they perceive looks like we are doing really good and that this vaccine is effective. And you have to dive deeper beyond just, you know, hey, this headline said that, or look at this peer-reviewed article that New York University put out. It's an accredited university. We have to look deeper than that because it is manipulating a lot of really good-hearted people. And there's a lot of people that I talk to that when I sit down and actually have an open conversation where I'm not throwing judgment at them, I'm actually hearing their side. And then I ask them to hear my side. And when their heels dig in the ground, when I start speaking, to just take a breath for a second and actually listen and look at what I'm telling them. 
I have a lot of people that will actually start to see the other side of things and begin to look beyond, you know, oh, well, even though this didn't come from Wall Street Journal, that data makes a lot of sense. But what I'm seeing is there's a huge barrier trying to get people to look at information that not is coming from a credible source. And we know that credible sources are all bought out by the media, whether that's, you know, different journalists, news networks, whatever that is. And so getting people to look beyond the initial face value of these studies and data and actually interpret it like they were trained to do, I've had a lot of good conversion success stories, but it's very hard to get somebody to want to do that because the minute we, the media has programmed and trained people so much to the minute somebody says anything that we talk about against the narrative, and that is any part of the narrative, not even just, you know, you can be somebody that got the vaccine and believe that people have the choice and you are now officially on the hard right, conservative, anti-vax, you know, domestic terrorist side of the group. And so yeah, I think we, that, I, I think that's just like the media. I think, I think what you just said is a lot. I think that one of, one of my personal hangups are healthcare people falling into the narrative, like you say, because I think people have their own experiences and that shapes their beliefs and their truths. So my experience is seeing on the news this crazy amount of people who are dying from COVID and overflowing emergency rooms and then walking into work the very next day and not seeing that. So my hospital is very liberal. I was actually the only person who was fired and like maybe a handful of people got religious exemptions, but everyone else was like, when do I get my booster? You know, but it's like, for me, it's like I have the same or similar experiences at work um, as everybody else, you know, nurses, doctors, techs, all of them were sharing in a very similar experience. And so for me, that is the biggest, the hardest, most challenging conversation to have is when you have such a similar experience with somebody as somebody and they can't or choose not to see the bigger picture. That's really hard for me. I think outside of healthcare workers, um, people who don't have that experience, I think that that conversation is really tough to have because there's so much noise. You know, whether you're watching Fox or you're watching CNN, you're being fed stuff and you're just regurgitating it, right? I mean, TV is bad in general, but we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but that's how, you know what I mean? And so I think that if people are just being fed all this stuff and just regurgitating it, you're just getting this, you're, you're not getting a conversation. And so I think that no matter where your stance may be, people have to be open to conversation. Um, and they're not because you could have two fact-based oppo opposing people. And I'm just saying facts lightly, but if they're not willing to listen and have the conversation, you're just not going to get it. But I think at the core of COVID, at the core of this vaccine, it's very confusing. You know, some people are like, well, Brie, why didn't you want to get it? Well, you know, to be honest, it just seemed a little bit weird. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's weird. I could do all the research and tell you why I think it's so weird and why it's bad. But when I decided not to get it at the beginning of the year and be absolutely non-compliant, I can't sit here and give you a graph as to why I thought that. That's just my truth and my intuition and how I felt. 
and that's a hard argument, you know, for people. And so I think it's so noisy and so crazy and, so, and the media has done a great job at dividing into these two extremes that I think it's hard for people to really find their place. And I think if people decided to speak up about it, whether they got the vaccine and, you know, stand for choice or if they didn't get it or whatever their personal belief is about it, I think if people actually make their voice heard in a very like respectful and kind way, I think so many conversations could be had, you know? I agree. So it's just, I don't know. It's just like a lot. You can't force the conversation on people. Um, I was going to say, and like you said, um, you know, there's so much noise coming from extremes of both sides. And we're so far into this now that, I think anybody can make their case for their stance at this point. If I am somebody that wants the vaccine, there is enough data and facts, quote unquote, that I can throw out there and tell you why I believe I want to get it and why it's effective and, you know, my beliefs behind that. Same thing goes with somebody that's on the opposite side that does not want that. There's enough data and information out there to, to, you know, defend their case. And so now we're at this standstill where if we're going to throw facts at each other to defend this you know, mandate, it's not going to work because both sides can uphold their battle long enough. Right. And so it's getting to a point now where we need to empower people to simply shut off all the noise and sit with themselves and their own thoughts and follow their own intuition and look inward. And that's a big thing that I think has been taken away this last year is we have been given a problem and our friend government has come in and said, we know the solution and put all your trust into us. And so now we have beings that don't want to think for themselves and don't want to use logic and don't wanna look at situations from a God's eye view. They wanna just take facts and numbers as they are. And that's very hard to do when there's stuff to support both sides. And so we need to take the power back. And like you said, the only way to really openly know what's going on is to have love conversations and spread that light to one another and accept people with open arms because a lot of hurt's going to happen and a lot of crazy things are coming. Um, and people are going to get sick and people are going to, you know, die sadly, both from COVID and from the vaccine. Um, and we need to allow people to have that open line of communication on both sides because Mm -hmm. there may be people that decide they want to get the vaccine after they start to see the effectiveness. And there may be those that are going to get it or have got it and want to go and fight for freedom because that's what we're being challenged with. So yeah, it's very hard to know what truth is anymore when you're bombarded. And I think that's why the media does what it does. And I think that's why that division is created is because life is so busy anyways, and we're so stressed with our job and trying to raise a good family. And now all the extra stresses of everything going on with COVID that people don't wanna think deeper. Like they just wanna be told what to do and get back to normal life. And that's what's being pitched is this goalpost being moved of get the shot and we'll go back to normal. Make the unvaccinated get the shot and we'll go back to normal. Do this restriction and we'll go back to normal. People are just like, I can't mentally handle it. Um, They're getting burnt out. People are getting burnt out. So I know that you said, you made a really good point that you are experiencing the same physical environment as a lot of people in your hospital that have the exact opposite views and are experiencing in their eyes something completely different than what you're experiencing 
but are still holding that belief and will die on their on that belief why do you think that there's such a block where like you said i can be seeing the same exact thing you're seeing but i still believe that we need boosters and that children need to get vaccinated and that now i've seen something by 2022 um toddlers can get back like all the way to birth can get vaccinated um why is that block there that I'm seeing all this and still think that, but you are seeing it and you see it in a different lens than me? What is that block coming? Like, why can we both experience the same thing and have two completely different outcomes? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, I wasn't very vocal about this at my job when I worked there. Um, it's just not a place where I decided to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and people always just assume because I'm a black female that I was vaccinated. Um, so I'd hear a lot of, I would hear talk, you know, when people would come in who had the vaccine fully vaxxed and were sick. Um, I always heard it placed on the comorbidities. But then when the vaccine first came out, it was those with comorbid- comorbidities that were encouraged to get it. So then they get it. And then, well, yeah, you got it, but you still have this underlying comorbidity, so that's why you're in here. So, you know, I guess maybe I can kind of see where they're coming from. But right before I was fired in September, or my last day was in September, I was fired November 1st, um, is when there was this surge, if you will, of fully vaccinated employees getting COVID and calling out. One day I know for sure there was about 11 call outs, maybe 13, which was like a record, right? So I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. Because if you, you know, if you think somebody who has all these comorbidities gets fully vaccinated and then they end up in the hospital because of the comorbidities, it has nothing to do with the vaccine. But then you get the vaccine and you get COVID and you don't have any comorbidities. What is the answer? Like, why did you get that? You know, so I don't, I really don't know. But I think that when people find their truth, it's, it's, they set it in stone. And so, you know, I think a lot of these healthcare workers would be hard pressed to say, you know what? I did think this initially and I am fully vaccinated, but now that I think about it, I now believe X, Y, Z. I think the noise has caused people to have their truth be set in stone and don't, and they just don't allow for it to change and evolve. And I think a lot of it is a cognitive dissonance of, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you said, experiencing two realities and having two different outcomes, but like I was talking about earlier, when somebody tends to say something that does not align with our beliefs and our values, and even me, I have this happen all the time, and I need to address that emotion when it arises. When somebody says something I disagree with, a lot of times I'll feel the anger or like defensiveness coming out, and I'm like, no, breathe, suppress it, and listen to what's being said, because you may still be able to take something away from this and learn, even if it's someone that has an opposing view, but many times... I've worked on my emotional maturity to the point where I'm able to look at that and be able to do that. And a lot of times we are programmed our ego to protect us, to save us. And so that cognitive dissonance, when it kicks in, you dig those heels in and you fold over and go 10 toes down, 
rather than open up and listen to what could be, you know, possibly on the other side, because that's your reality. And if you come to terms with that, the fact that your reality may not be true and that the other side of whatever argument or other view might be the better truth, that destroys and distorts what reality you've been programmed to believe and you've been living in. And that's very hard for people to do. We are beings that our ego protects us from outside threats. And so that is an outside threat coming in that our way of life is being, you know, punished and disrupted. And so I think that's kind of the big issue is instead people at this point have had to see something that has internally made them look and say, something's not right here. Whatever part of the situation is people have felt that and Instead of potentially looking into it, they suppress that feeling and they go 10 toes down. So they're going even harder at making everybody else. And a lot of it is, you know, I got the shot. I did this for you. You need to do it. Like the hero mentality of like, I did it. So Uh you need to do it because I don't do it. Yours, you know, if if you don't do it, mine doesn't work. And this completely throwing logic out the window because they have to double down and I think that's what the media tends to be doing a lot nowadays as well. And that's why we're seeing so many, you know, back and forth, crazy, just chasing our own tails is they have to double down. They're so far in this lie that if they came out tomorrow and said, hey, everybody, listen, we overestimated the deaths. This was not as big as it was. Like people's lives have been completely flipped upside down in the last 20 months. There would be mass riots. There would be mass chaos. They couldn't control the population. And so it's very hard to go back on something when your ego is trying to protect you. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy that we, that we've got to where we're at. Um, I mean, I know we're going for 51 minutes and we're going to kind of wrap it up, but just to, you know, kind of recap, like we said, we've been 20 months into this. And I think now the biggest point is the vaccines available Everyone that wants it has either gotten it or at this point has probably had COVID. I mean, it has played its course. And so what's the end game? That's the question that I'm trying to get to the bottom of. And that's why I'm doing these interviews is to expose and show people that across the country, no matter what state we're in, it's not just a one coincidence that it's happening with me and my hospitals, but it's happening at your hospitals. It's happening in New York's hospitals. It's happening everywhere across the world. And we're all seeing the same things, but yet we're doubling down on what is happening. And now we're getting to a point where we're taking away human rights and our bodily autonomy. And that's where I feel called to step out and have people on to discuss their stories like yourself, because we have to come out and voice our opinions and voice our views now, or they're going to suppress us and we're going to go to a, you know, complete dictator state. Um, and I mean, do you agree? Do you think that that's, I mean, where we're heading with a lot of what's happening or do you, are you still kind of seeing it as, you know, vaccine mandates and nothing more than that? Or are you now open to seeing that this is a shift towards, you know, a globalistic society where the elite rule? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, California is, is a super great example, you know, of that you can see, you know, King Newsom is just adding on all of these <laughs> things every, like literally every day, you know, that we're, in, we're still in a state of emergency until March, 2022. Really? Oh yeah. Right. We're, we're in a pandemic still, you know? So I think that the take home for me is people's truth are going to come from their experience 
and their personal growth and their openness and the ego, like you said, and all that, we could get real deep with it. But I think that no matter where somebody is in their personal growth, their belief, their truth, whatever, wherever people are, what's going on right now is going to inevitably affect them. You know, I mean, it's affected me because I made the choice of, you know, absolute non-compliance. And so now I don't work in a hospital and I'm out of healthcare and God only knows what my career is going to be. But that's what's in everybody's face right now. You know, but what people aren't talking about is these mandates have caused short staff. Okay, they are talking about that. But what does that mean for you when you need to go get your routine checkup or when you have a sore throat? You know what I mean? My friend's daughter has to wait three months to get her leg checked out. Her leg is like in severe pain because they're understaffed. So she's fully vaccinated. She's doing all the things. She's complying. But her daughter is in pain every day because she can't get an appointment at a hospital. And this is just like in the healthcare bubble, you know? So it's just like, I just think people need to stand up for choice. Whatever your choice may be, stand up for people to be able to make their own decisions. But then know that if you continue to stay silent and have your head in the sand, you will be affected. That's not like a threat and I'm not trying to be rude. It's just the reality is you will be affected by this. Um, and I just wish I could like shake everybody's head and be like, you will be affected, you know, because it's just so true. And I think that people don't see that. But, you know, the longer that, that they, you know, turn, turn their eye, the worse it becomes. And, so yeah, yeah, we're headed in that way, I think. But then, but, but the flip side of it, is that the people like you and I and the people who are standing up for choice and who are talking and like, you know, really doing what, what they can do and educating themselves and growing day by day. I think that community is going to be so ridiculously strong that the government, whoever, aid There we go. Oh, okay. I thought I, I lost you for a second. We'll, we'll edit that oh. out. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, so I think that with all the shenanigans going on, you know, I think that the, the mandates and the regulations and all the things that are happening that we look at to be very negative is, can actually be spun around as so positive. You know, you and I wouldn't be talking. We wouldn't be making all these connections with people. I wouldn't want to be moving to Montana for a homestead and be self-sufficient. Like it's really empowering those I feel like that have decided to open their eyes, you know, and I, think and it's I love creating, it. Yeah. And it's creating new systems. Like we had to tear down the, the walls of these old broken systems and now beautiful new systems are emerging. I had a meet and greet dinner um, with some people that are on the front lines of this movement. And I'm sure you know Alex Zek and his movement with Health Freedom for Humanity. And there are new 
agricultural pushes being done coming from this, which our food industry has been very yeah. exposed for the corruptness it is. There are new education systems emerging from this indoctrinated system. There's new healthcare systems emerging. So all these broken systems that we have been tricked into believing are the most effective and most efficient and have our well-being in mind are being destroyed and we're creating new ones that truly align with empowering the people and bringing a beautiful society together where we can all prosper and be abundant. Um, and like you said, I think that's the biggest point of all of this is coming together, having voices heard because we are innovators as humans, we adapt and we adapt quick. And that's one of the best things about human beings that we are able to adjust and adapt so quickly. And we are creating new systems at a rapid pace. And what comes from this is the light at the end of the tunnel, but that light is shining and it's getting bigger and bigger. And it's it is so bright. so bright. Yes. And we just have to help guide the people that are in the dark and show them what this beautiful light can look like. And yeah. I think people will, you know, come around. I think they're coming around. I mean, I they think are. this is all, you know, a lot, but I think people are coming around and I think I'm a firm believer that the system is always meant to break down families, you know, whatever your family may be. And I think this is strengthening families. You know, I know that people are like, oh, you can't come to my holiday if you're not vaccinated. Okay, fine. But your immediate family, I think, is being so strengthened. Like, I don't, I don't work now. Like, whoa, that is crazy. Yeah. But I spend every single day with my son. We eat breakfast at the table every day. Pick him up, drop him Beautiful. off, volunteer in the class. You know, and so I... I wasn't doing that before. Like I cook. Oh my gosh. I never used to cook. <laughs> beautiful. It's, you know, so I love it. I think it's, I think it's great. It's good stuff coming up. It's beautiful. I just want to end with a little quote. Um, you know, it's from one of the members that was spoke on the Nuremberg trials after the Nazi Germany in 1930. And he said, um, you know, first they came for the socialist and he didn't speak out because he wasn't a socialist. Um, and then they came for the trade unionist and he didn't speak out because he wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and he didn't speak out because he wasn't a Jew. And then they came for him and there was no one left to speak out for him. Um, and so that is my message and push to people is we've got to stand up and we've got to speak out. And I think why what we're doing is so important because if everyone is silent, then there's nobody that's going to be left to stand up for anybody. And we yeah. lose. And so it was it's powerful things like this happening where like-minded souls are coming together, showing people the light at the end of the tunnel and having these open, loving conversations to where we can allow people to feel a safe environment and come in and feel protected to listen to something that's opposing what they normally would view. Um, so it's absolutely beautiful. And I loved having you on today. It was amazing finally Thank getting you. to meet you. I know this has been a prolonged yeah. uh, task that we've been trying to accomplish, but we finally did it, and it was a blessing to meet such a beautiful soul. Thank you. You too. This is so great. Well worth the wait, for sure. And so I will definitely get this posted, and I will be tagging you and send you over the link so you can share as well. Um, do you have any final last words for anybody that, you know, want to kind of get your message out there? Anything you'd like to end with? I don't. I, you know, I don't. I just think in a time like this, you just have to do your best. You have to look inside and do your best. Whatever that means for you, do it. Do it with grace and love and kindness. I love that. Absolutely beautiful. It has been a pleasure, Miss Bree. I appreciate it. And we will be in contact soon. Look forward That's to it. the podcast and uh, we'll get it published. Awesome. I'm excited. <laughs>